The Creative Trust is a limited podcast series to celebrate 20 years of Gloss Creative. Together with our stellar alumni, we'll share everything we know to be true about the creative process and the business reality of running a small but powerful design platform. Two decades ago, I started Gloss Creative as my creative platform for experimentation and exploration. What has ensued has been an endlessly rewarding creation of ephemeral installations, each one put up, pulled down, each one leaving an enduring mark on its audience. I learned early on that I could make audiences fall in love with environments simply by making them feel and experience something. Memories that lasted long after the physical immersion had gone. It crystallized my long-held belief that your business plan is to harness your unbridled creative force and that creative renewal is your most powerful weapon over time. Welcome to the Creative Trust. In this episode, I'll be talking to two of our alumni about what the role of the event design and director is within the event industry. It's a demanding process delivering Australia's most luxurious and powerful events. And to talk about it, I've got Bruce Keeble from The Big Group and Steph D'Alberto, the creative director of The Big Group, with me today. And that is a very happy day. Bruce Keeble is the director of The Big Group, one of Australia's largest privately owned catering and event management companies. The Big Group was established almost 30 years ago by Bruce and his amazing wife, Chika Keeble. Together, their inspiration was to bring a fresh and original approach to the Melbourne catering scene, which they have done in spades. Today, The Big Group is a bespoke hospitality and creative agency that designs truly unique events, both in Australia and overseas, which I can't wait to hear about today. Their client list is incredible. From the top 500 international corporations, their owners and the directors of those companies. The big group work with a wide range of government, philanthropic agencies, and also celebrities, of course. So imagination, experience, passion, and thinking big are what the big group are renowned for, continually transforming the commonplace into the exceptional every single time. So that's Bruce's official bio, but I've made up my own one. <laughs> so here's the alternative bio. I was going to say, change? Bruce often describes himself as a sandwich maker, which is very humble, but we all know that's not true. He's one of Melbourne's most influential and connected business operatives. There is no one in Melbourne Bruce does not know. His influence is now felt well beyond the industry he often speaks up for. For over 30 years, he's mentored generations of incredible event and hospitality professionals and inspired so many within his community, including me and Steph on many occasions. I've loved our car chats over the years and the advice that you've dispensed. Bruce's energy is expressed through his ideas and his ability to make it happen. It's always fun working on projects with Bruce. He keeps the vibrations high and the laughs rolling in. He's an incredible storyteller and at his heart, one very generous and brilliant creative. Welcome, Bruce. Great intro, Anne. <laughs> well, that's more the truth. Oh, I don't know. I'm nervous We might now. need to rewrite that <laughs> Steph. Steph D'Alberto, the creative director of The Big Group, describes her Insta self as a lover of useful and beautiful things. And this is totally correct. 
I've had the pleasure of spending a decade working on some of our most loved signature projects with Steph. Countless hours designing beautiful things and going places and making them happen. In her formative years, I used to describe Steph as the ultimate multitasker. But these days, managing multiple projects and teams on fast-paced high-end events, she's somewhat more of a diplomatic and strategic creative powerhouse. I've spent years on planes with Steph. Her in the aisle seat, me in the window, wondering who's going to squash our designer handbag next and arranging last-minute dinner parties from the seats on the plane. Steph is driven and accomplished well beyond her years and has been known to give Bruce and I some very wise counsel over the years. All right, so I've got lots of questions for you today. So we might start with you, BK. And obviously we're talking about event design today, um, but I'd love to know, uh, you know, how did you get here? You know, designers come from varying backgrounds. Um, so I'm really interested in hearing, tell us everything. And I'm really interested that, you know, you've come from a food and hospitality background or have you? Tell us everything. Well, it's sort of weird because I wouldn't put myself in that genre um, because when I finished school, I wanted to be a diplomat, which sort of is a funny full circle story. But so I wanted to be a diplomat and I thought I'd swan around the world and go to parties at the Paris consulate or embassy and that would be my job. And I thought that'd be fun. And so then I did that thing, you know, that year 12 at school and uh, I didn't actually get the marks for law. So I was a bit disappointed. <laughs> so what did I do? I went into hospitality and worked as a waiter at Pellegrini's. And it was fascinating because Christmas came and they gave me a panettone. And I'd only been working there for like two months or something. And I thought, they are the kindest, most beautiful, hospitable people I've ever met in my life to give me this panettone. I didn't understand that a panettone costs about $6 but looks like 600 because it's in such a big box. <laughs> it's, all, it's all in the packaging. And it's all wrapped. It's all in the packaging. And um, I thought, oh, I'll give this hospitality thing a go. And so I wanted to go into hotel management. So I studied um, hotel management. And then you had this sort of sandwich year thing that came about and so then the, this hotel in Melbourne called the Grand Hyatt, which is not as grand as it was in that day, had opened and I got the job there as an intern and I got the job with this catering company called Peter Rowland as the intern and I had to decide and it was a pivotal, you know, that was a pivotal moment, it was like a T intersection for me and I thought I'll go with the crazy guy and go with the catering. So I fell into the world of sort of food and catering and that's where I started. That said, um, however long later, wherever we are, now I consider myself an international diplomat solving the hospitality problems of the world. You totally are. <laughs> and more. And more. Get there eventually. And ideally we'll go back to Paris and, and, yes. and do something wonderful there. <laughs> and Steph, what about you? How did you get here? Like, I know you came by a car, but how did you arrive where you are today? Well, I weirdly didn't ever think I'd have a creative job even though my heart beats strong in that area. But I remember the first thing I ever real when I realised I had a little bit of creative talent was I used to rearrange the fruit bowl, like, in our house, and my mum would always comment on it. She'd, like, always give me claps for that. And I was very opinionated about my bedroom. It had to be mustard. I couldn't have it. it had black and white in it. I was just... I wasn't the regular kid, but I thought I would study science and that was literally the path I was going down. Forensic science was my goal. That's where I wanted to go. And then in year 12, you had to pick a subject from a different stream. And I was like, oh, this is not what I want to do. And mum's like, just pick something that'll be fun. So I thought, I'll give art a crack. That looks a bit open brief. Don't Might not have to do too much. Anyway, <laughs> I spent the whole of year 12 working on my folio and did not much else. 
And then I finished and I was like, oh, well, I probably should consider doing something creative, maybe just as a break. And I went to that RMIT open day and I was actually going to look at interior design with my aunt who was going back to study and we walked past the VM and saw all the window displays and I was like, oh, that kind of looks like a bit of fun. And mum's like, why don't you just do that, have a little moment, take a bit of time out, figure out what you want to do, forensics really where you want to go, you'll come back to it. Anyway, did VM, loved it. And then graduated, met Amanda, and then I was off and running. Amazing. I love it. You know what I'm loving hearing from both of you is it's interesting how people at their top of their game in these creative fields are not just creative. I feel like there's this great sort of what gets us through is this uh, combination of creativity and intellect, mm. I say. <laughs> you know, it may not be stamped with, you know, as a doctorate, but I feel like this kind of intelligence around business and around process and, you know, the left brain side is as strong as the right brain side and I, I just adore that. It's like the pendulum of creativity though. Like I always say, and people don't agree, but I am not really a creative person. I sit at the top part of the pendulum, you know, to the left, you know, right mm. down the bottom is Van Gogh chopping his ear off and, you know, people who come <laughs> up with the brave new big ideas and mm. to the other side is a forensic accountant, not a forensic creative. <laughs> so I, I sit up sort of in the middle and I find it so fascinating seeing like Steph who's and yourself who are much more to the chop your ear off Van Gogh side <laughs> as <laughs> true creative. <laughs> we have too much fun. <laughs> I love it. So let's talk, let's get into some nitty gritty. Um, what I'd love you, both of you to do is to summarise what event design is to you. What do you think that the very best event designer can bring to an event, Bruce? Um, I think part of it is really unpacking the why. I think that's probably the initial part. I, I, when, I, when I have a question like that, I unfortunately see it in two um, parallels. And one is sort of the, the private um, market where... I call her Betsy, but she's not called Betsy, where someone's having a wedding or a special occasion mm. is very different to me of a brand being Vuitton or Chanel or, um, you know, KPMG needing something else. So the two things have a very different mindset for me. Um, the, the private stuff is really about emotional intelligence. So for the mm. event designer, having very strong cognitive skills about um, how people live and how they express themselves as their own personal brand in many ways, I think, leads us to 100%. how they want to live within the eventscape. So I think understanding that is a really difficult and learnt nuance. Apropos to when you work for, let's use Vuitton as a, a good working example, they know their brand very well and how they want to express it. Sometimes they know it so well, they don't know, therefore, how to express it because the yeah. guidelines are too strong. Yeah. So we go from one Two different parallels. So that's how I find it. I'm the same. And I think there's a different emotional intent between the two, which is what we spend a lot of time crafting with our private clients because we're in this very unique position where we kind of have 50-50 work mm. in both industries. And the private, it's a pivotal moment in their lives generally. So we're responsible for helping make these memories, whether it's photographed or videoed or if they've got, they're recording it in some way, that emotional memory that we leave with them is so strong and powerful and it gets brought up for years in family yeah. dinners and it's it's really intimate experience. Yeah, it's I'm thinking of it now, it's like yeah. it's almost like a personal brand launch. It is, it's 100% <laughs> a personal brand launch. And often it's this moment when you Two brands two, coming together. Exactly, two families coming together, yeah. like friends coming together, a new baby's arriving. It's very, very emotionally driven. Yeah. Whereas the, um, the corporate side of things, it's 
there's really clear objectives and there's clear outcomes and return on investments. So it's got a slightly different emotional bent to it. But having said that, still, you've got to cut through. Like we need to be leaving these people who are engaging with these brands with a lasting memory. It's just a different tone. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, 20 years ago, the Mm. word event design kind of wasn't a thing, was it? No, it wasn't. Um, I don't think so. So, you know, when you think about did it exist before, yeah, I think it did exist. Those functions Mm. happened. You know, in the early days out at Flemington, you still went out there and packed an amazing picnic that was in the Mm. most beautiful basket with the most beautiful napkin, you know, and cheeks would do the flowers and it was all beautiful. It just wasn't called that. Mm. And it's interesting to see, you know, how I guess that creativity is now more valued. Oh, I guess it started in the industry of giving me a job and all of us a job, you know. Mm. So I'm interested to know how how does having an event designer change things now within your realm or hasn't it really? No, I think it's massively changed. And I mean, I, you mentioned before it is nearly 30 years of big group and, and it's like almost like a tree or, you know, dinosaur ages. Each 10 was very different. The last 10 with the advent of social media has totally changed the landscape. So brands all, all of a sudden understood that there was great power in creativity and there was great power in storytelling. And so instead of putting an ROI or, or us getting money from the marketing department that went to a major global advertising print campaign, there was all this rush as to how else we can get value for our brands. So I think that really shifted and created an industry that, you know, when we started 30 years ago, I called it catering and event management. Nobody knew what event management was. It was a made-up term and now there's a course to do event management. So same with the event designer. I think that shift has been really important. And so, yeah, I do see it changed changed, and therefore the value in the industry. It's definitely become like a whole genre on its own in a lot of ways. And it's all about sort of creating these immersive experiences and what all of us can agree around this table that we love the most about this industry is it's so fleeting. Like an event only happens for a night or a couple of days at the very most. So it gives creative flexibility and you're sort of not as bound by like the permanency of other things. And I think that people seeing the value in that, that it's just this fleeting moment and you've got to capture it while it's happening gives it a different value think to what people thought of in the past and they're eating creative so ferociously oh right? you yeah know, in the old days you'd build a beautiful restaurant you know and it'd mm. last 50 years you know almost the menu would last 50 years now if you're not changing that um that build every two and a half years yeah. they've moved on somewhere else so the circus nature of the event industry is is feeding this ferocious creativity mm. so we almost need COVID to stop so we could start again <laughs> yes <laughs> and it's that renewal obviously yeah. that keeps it fresh and yeah. for people like us we love that mm, it's exciting you know, um you know as soon as an one project's done we're kind of happy that that's gone and on to the next yeah and it's great mm. it's great so Some of the most powerful immersions are backed up by a landslide of creativity and layers of intricate details. Tell us about when you start a new brief. What happens? I run to Steph and say, bloody (laughs) hell, what are we going to (laughs) do? It's an organic process. (laughs) No, it's it's an interesting interesting thing because it once again comes back to this pendulum inside big group. I suppose not every agency is the same. But the private client is not going to send a brief. We Mm -hmm. have to discover the brief. So that's where the emotional intelligence piece comes back into it. On the corporate side of it, they're very clear about their expectations. I mean, we put an ROI on every guest's head. So, you know, in the olden days, we Mm. didn't value humans. But if we're not going to get value out of that person, then why are they there? 
and if we don't design the right party for them to be inside that environment, why do we design it? So um, the briefing aspect of it is really important and there's a big difference between a formal and a non-formal brief. Totally. And then the process can start. And, you know, yeah. there is so many times, I know we've all been called upon to give the reverse brief. Yeah. <laughs> you know, clients will come and say, I need something but I don't know what I need. I need you to tell me what I don't know. Which is the frustrating piece about the industry, mm. like there's a light bit, but then you wouldn't do that with your lawyer. You'd go and say, this person has pulled down my fence without asking, what do I do? And so you'd have yeah. a very clear process and a clear schedule of payment and how it would go. Whereas with creative, it's like, oh, is it pink or is it blue? Yes. <laughs> and I yeah. think that goes back to the why as yeah. well. So if you can work in that space, that's pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. describe your um, personal process, Steph. It definitely depends on how the brief comes in. So whether it's corporate or it's a private process. Um, and then secondarily to that, it's just, it's literally the, f the structure of the event. So the physical footprint, the physical space we're playing in, the property that we're working on. I like to have a few boundaries because then I think the creativity comes within those confinements of some boundaries. And I think that's when you sort of push yourself a little bit more. When it's carte blanche, it's, I kind of think it's a little bit harder and maybe not quite as satisfying as when you're sort of overcoming challenges and obstacles in the design process. I think that's when you get to a better resolution at the end. I think one of the things that's, you know, very difficult from Steph's point of view is there's not just, when we talk creativity inside of Big Group, we're not just talking one nuance. So it's no. not just what I call in event interiors. It's also no. event culinary and it's event landscape and it's yeah. event, you know, uniform. So it touches on so many things. So it's a very broad reaching, mm. you know, response to brief. Yeah. yeah. For as long as we've worked together, your collective love of creative for me shows across, you've just mentioned it, all of the threads. Mm. I mean, that, you know, has always been a hallmark to me of what you guys do. It's always from the greeting that you, you know, meet someone, the guy who's beautifully mm. dressed and knows your name and welcomes you in to the last detail on the table with the napkin. That part mm. of it's incredible. Explain to us how how you get those creative threads. What's that process? Is that just chatting away? How, how does your process go? I'm going to start off this you one because yeah. I think, honestly, the big group is only what it is because of Bruce and Chica and they're so – you two as a couple are so unique and your business is so unique within the hospitality agencies because I don't think there's any other hospitality agency out there, probably in Australia, that has a whole creative department and it runs so deep throughout the whole business. It comes right down to literally the logistics team and the operational team and there's a creative touch point that they put on it through the whole process and that's completely being fostered by Bruce and Chica down to the black toilet paper currently in one of our bathrooms because <laughs> it's just... But it, it, it's, it's sort of the way we've always lived. need to get that right colour. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's sort of how we've always yeah. lived, you know, and, and part of that is more like um, Chica's natural world. Like her mm. grandmother was a collector of the most beautiful things, as was her mother. Um, her mother could actually sign the um, credit card receipt with both hands at the same time whilst in the Bangkok market buying 400 silks. You know, so textures, fabrics, ceramics, that's all part of their natural life. Not trained, but mm. just an evolution and the same for Cheek. So when we started Big Group all those years ago, 
we would have a problem because we were catering. So you just put the food and then, oh, they might want the staff. That's exciting. And then mm. some numpty nump came in with the balloons or some hideous table or paper <laughs> napkin or something. I'm talking <laughs> 30 years ago. And we'd be having a breakdown. So we moved into the world of the aesthetic very quickly because it was to protect the plate. Yes. All we wanted to do was protect that food on the plate so that the experience of the guest was the most heightened it could be. So we added on all these extra things into the business because to us they were just the nuances of experience. Mm. But it was always coming back to making sure we sold more food and more booze you know because yeah, we're commercial but that the experience was the best yeah. and as, as beautiful as it could be i love this idea about um you talked about chica and what she loved what she did fueled i guess her core of creativity you the diplomat what is it in your creative core that comes out every time like how did you get that what did you do when you were a kid <laughs> that made you have this creativity it's interesting i always think you know uh, and, and when you start um, unpacking people, you know, when you get people in various management roles or, you know, you've got someone in the team who just isn't cutting it or someone's actually going above and beyond, it usually gets unpacked to their childhood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not, not to go deep. To yeah. Yeah. So, funnily enough, you know, in, in my family, I was the pleaser, right? I was the, the one who sort of sort of tried to calm everyone down, stop the sort of... The, the diplomat. The, the, I was the diplomat, yeah, yeah even mm -hmm. at six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So, you know, my parents would be getting cranky with my sisters for wearing a, you know, a tartan a la Britney Spears uh, skirt that was above the knee kind of thing. And for them that was like terribly shocking uh -huh. as good Catholics kind of thing. And so my role was to placate everyone, keep everyone happy and be the pleaser. So I, my role emotionally hasn't changed. So same thing when I go to a client and they need to solve something, I want to please them. I want to get it right for them. I'll do everything I can to get to that end mile. Same with the team. That's part of my um, role there. So the creativity part of it is just, I suppose, the joyful bit, right? You know, if, if, if I had gone into... The diplomatic role or actually I did do um you know when you're a kid you had to do work experience I did go to the undertaker because I thought oh. that might have been fun so it wouldn't have mattered really what the role is but mm. because I got surrounded by all these amazing people like both of you going on that flow of the process it becomes a joy you know and it's for me it's learnt creativity it's not natural creativity so it's a very I think I see it as a very different thing I also when I think of you creatively I think what drives your creativity is your adventurousness and your joy seeking like you were saying before and I that's you and Chica are the most adventurous joy seeking people I've ever met <laughs> and that comes through everything like it's you if whatever it might be like let's dive deep into that let's pull out all the fun the best bits of that and highlight it yeah, well look at the end of the day I genuinely believe life is all about living and if you've got the opportunity to live it live it bloody well God, you guys know how to come on board with a theme. I've seen so many examples of this. One that comes to mind was the edible makeup palette you made for us for a fashion event in a Burke Street window. We all got super excited about this. How did you make it happen? I mean, we came to you with a drawing. We went, we want this for 30 influencers you know, how did you make it happen? Well, you really made it happen. You know, that's the that's the fun of it because when you work with great people, they're pushing you into mm. directions. So that's the number one. So going back to that briefing part, mm. when we work with you, we get a it's really easy. great distilled yeah. brief. So it makes it easier. And then it's about making sure that the culture inside the business is always really alive and exciting so that when that brief comes in and, you know, Brad, who was the most amazing pastry chef, you know, we just love Brad, he, he was just like, this is gold, you know, like mm. this is the fun day. Who wants to make 
50 trays of, I don't know, brownie or something. Yeah. You know, but then we get to make this makeup palette. Like, how crazy. So um, I think that's part of it. I think you push us and then having the right culture and the right creative chefs inside the business who are prepared to, you know, really think outside the box and feel that they're allowed to think outside the box and they don't have a monetary you know, heavy overload of budgetary regulations as well. It allows the freedom to be creative, whatever the discipline, whether it's food or whether it's textiles or marquees or whatever. I think that's really important. It's really great to have those things that everyone gets excited about. Like I remember, you know, when we we did the tasting and everything and we were looking at it and we were eating, you know, the coconut cake, which was the sponge and the raspberry goop, which, you know, all of that. And, you know, someone, we were doing the menu taste and I'm like, sure, overload, this is great. And someone at the end of the table sort of said, mm, do you think it's enough for people to eat for lunch? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. It just looks so goddamn great. It wasn't about eating. Eating's yeah. cheating. It was yeah, about yeah. taking a photo on social to tell a story. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> and then I remember the week later because we were just so excited and we were on such a high from it. Um, you said, come meet the guys at the back, you know, in their kitchen studio at the back. And I just went in and I said, oh, thank you, you know, thank you so much. It was amazing. And your team were just like, we loved it. It was something that we just adored doing, yeah. you know. And, and I, I said to Steph this morning, oh, what a joy to be turning off the phones and coming here for you know, yeah. an hour and a half rather than, you know, juggling. So change is very important to humans. Like we need to Definitely. have change and joy and excitement and new goalposts, otherwise it gets boring. That's how I feel like you drive that um, motivation for work as well. If you lose that momentum, you know, you end up knitting in a corner or something. So, <laughs> you know, as I mentioned, you guys come along with a theme like no tomorrow. I've also noticed, you know, in the later years – You've got this really nice balance, you know, particularly your work with Lexus and the designs that you've done there, where can anything be too themey? You know, is there such a thing? How do you balance a look? And I've noticed you've got this lovely sort of balance of you know when to go full themey and then you know how to have a theme but it doesn't kind of overtake the feeling of it. Steph, talk to us about that. I'm, that's something that I'm really interested. You know how yeah. we always say the thing, is it too themey yeah. or should we not be themey? Is it an interior? Is it a set? You know, what? Give us your thoughts on that. Oh, it's such a hard balance, especially for us because in the private industry, a theme is a big, like that's, that is probably off, off, like the brief most of the time and it'll be like, we want a Mexican party. So our aim is always to create the chicest iteration of that so that it sort of is a bit more enduring than say more of a trend-based um, iteration of it. And I think that's also often we sort of get it to a point and then that's where we get by in the collaboration from the client to if it needs to be dialed down or dialed up. We try to sort of aim for somewhere in the middle. Um, but I think it's like we do struggle with themes sometimes, don't we, Bruce? <laughs> so diplomatic. It's, I'm supposed to be diplomatic. We sometimes struggle with themes, don't we, Bruce? It's yeah. really like, um, Bruce, what you want to do is really tacky and what I'm going to do over here is very chic. <laughs> and as you know, I'm commercial. So I'm like, if we're going to do Mexican, let's get the fiesta, let's get the hat, let's get the tequila, let's not get too serious. And there's a, there is a balance because it can go tacky really quickly. It like can. we're working on this yeah. project at the moment. Um, which is about landscaping greenery. And, you know, and, and I'm so scared that, you know, you can go jungle, jungle gym really quickly 
or you can go global inspirational beauty mm. very quickly as well. So it's a it's a really important balance to get right. There's a time and a place. One of the questions that we always ask at um, Gloss Creative is, what would the French do? Oh, <laughs> always. Default. <laughs> it is. French or Italian. Yeah. And then you know it's going to yeah. be chic and fabulous. Yeah. And somewhat commercial, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. This is what, this was actually the first question that I thought of when I had, I thought, okay, I'm having two of these amazing friends over. What's the best way to conduct a menu tasting? I mean, I and Steph and yourself, <laughs> have, I've been in so many menu tastings, yeah. you know, in the early 2000s, we'd take all afternoon and we'd have a lot to consume <laughs> yeah. at course after course and it was kind of almost like a party, you know, whereas mm. today, you know, I can do a menu tasting an hour, have neat little notes and, you know, all of that. But can you explain? A lot of people who haven't ever been to a menu tasting or don't know about that. Talk, talk to us about the menu tasting. This is the moment. Do we have to have them? <laughs> <laughs> really, sometimes they're a trial for our chefs, like a genuine mm. trial. Well, to make all that stuff. Correct. Yeah. So it, it's very important for us to, and like, you know, if we go back to the Maya um, makeup palette piece, there was so many versions of getting that right before we had to do the trial. So before, before, before the trial, we've already trialed it 10 times. So yeah. it's many ways, it's almost an entertaining mechanism between our business and the client you know mm. that's one part of it but equally in the reverse part of it for the client it's really important part of the experience so it's essential that we sort of put on the show and so often the client be that corporate or private they're not able to experience and enjoy that product that they've designed on the night because no. they're too busy so they actually probably have a nicer time at the food trial so I think you know leaning into enjoying it and sort of having fun is a really important mm. part And I of guess it. it's a time that you can spend with a client where it's a little bit more relaxed as well. Yeah. And I feel like it also flattens out or gets rid of any differing of expectations. You know, this is what we're thinking because, you know, what a, you know, sophisticated cake might look like to me may not be to you. So I think it's evidential proof of your thinking and I think that really calms the client down. It's like, this is going to happen. It's going to be amazing. And this is what we're thinking. So I think it's fairly powerful in terms of, you know, working with your client. The food and the beverage, no matter what, is the heartland of the eventscape. Yeah. No matter what. The, the visual um, event set that's behind it is terribly important. But unfortunately, the, the, the customer, the host, the hostess and all their guests, they'll judge that event about that personal experience their personal landscape is always very important but yeah. what they eat and what they drink is vital so it, it is a really important part of the process especially when you're working at the level we are like these events aren't just you know soup and a salad they're, you know they're 18 months of planning and they're incredibly well traveled so they come with a wealth of knowledge generally as well and the discussions that we have in menu tastings are often the size of this needs to be a bit smaller. This needs to be a little bit crunchier. It's things that people wouldn't register the feedback to be. Correct. We're like, changing all the ceramics or yes. all the glassware. Yeah. Um, you know, it's this napery is not quite Egyptian cottony enough, you know. So there's a yeah. lot of detail that goes into these highly bespoke events. How do you get the balance between, you know, we all know small is good because... Mm. A woman can pick it up, put it in her mouth, one bite, and you're done. Lipstick's still you, good. Lipstick's still good. <laughs> we have, we're not messy, all of that. And I'm starving. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And actually feeding people, you know, at the races or whatever, feeding people for a whole day and while consuming a lot of alcohol 
you know, ha- you know. Don't forget the dietaries. small. What was that? <laughs> Don't forget the dietaries. Of course. Oh, yeah. And th- those nuances that overlay yeah. everything and COVID. <laughs> yeah. So, I am interested, Steph, when you set up menu tastings, I've noticed you go to a lot, you fully style it. Yeah. Anything like that. What's the thinking behind all of that? Tell us about that. It's probably the the closest that we can get to a client's experience before setting up the whole event. Because unlike when you're building a house, you do site visits, you come and see them, you have opinions on colours. Like these events normally get set up within 24 hours, probably the most, like I think probably the longest we ever have is for large corporate events at like at Spring Racing Carnival where that's sort of a month lead up. But really it's hard and fast at the end, so it's too late to make changes. So that's why we put a lot of emphasis on the menu tasting and the and touch points to what the event's going to be i.e. tablescape or what the bar's going to be looking like when it's set up and styled so that there's a comfort for the guests, that for the, our clients going into it knowing that it's going to be this but on a bigger scale and they feel a little bit calmer going into it because they've had a, a bit of the experience before they get there. Definitely. I find it fascinating because the work that we've done pre-COVID, you know, in the Middle East over that last sort of 10-year period, the rendering is so extraordinarily excellent yeah. that we render each cake, each macaron and each leaf and each little kumquat and every peony and every table. So that client has experienced the exact event by render and 3D and they've walked through the whole thing and when the event comes along I can never see the difference between the event and the render which is a good bad thing but we have to set this up in the physical world in Australia and it's a really hard thing to do because Mm. most people have never really had a really big party and then you know you guys are always taking them on a dreamscape to somewhere new and it's very hard to create and understand that. That said if we create too much You've experienced the joy before you've had the joy and that's not a good thing either because in the old days we used to always hold something back so that there was a surprise and something wonderful for the client because they've gone through the process. What's the fun? You know, so it's a a tricky balance of not doing too much but also not giving everything away so that we still have a bit of magic on the night. I mean, I love a menu tasting for a myriad of reasons, both creative and, you know, all of that Um, as well as I think the client thing is just amazing as well as the creative thing. Um, so, two questions hand in hand. What do guests really want when they come to an event? And what do clients want when they create an event? Any order, any person? Where you go? Well, I, and this goes against sort of my whole job role, but to me, great food, great music and great booze make a party scene. So, you need to get those three foundations right to get the event right and then the layering builds up from there. So that's where you get that differentiation between like I went to a party and it was great and I went to a party and it was amazing. To me that's the critical things for the guest. Then I think for the client it's uniqueness. It's literally being able to express their brand whether it's a personal brand or it's a commercial brand having uniqueness that like shows their identity and who they are. Yeah, interesting. I agree with all of that too. Um, For the guest, for me, I think, you know, in generality, it's about escapism. And I think it's going to be really interesting post-COVID that will be really heightened. 
because what we want to do is get away from our everyday, you know, <laughs> from a fashion perspective. It's like, get me out of these moccasins and tracksuits or whatever they are. You know, I think people will dress again. And so our role in this whole, you know, eventscape is to really provide escapism on every level. Escapism for some people will be like, oh my God, I've just had a tub of truffle fries. You know, that's exciting. Or tonight I'm going to have a lychee martini or something. That's escapism as well, especially going into environments and seeing something new. So I think that's for me what the, the, the guests are about. And for the client perspective, you know, it, it really is about cut through. You know, it's about cut through my my wedding's better than Betsy's wedding. You know, that's part of it. Or more fabulous or more me or da -da -da. And, and and the same for brands. They want cut through and it has to be unique and different. And tell me, um, clients and guests are always full of feedback. <laughs> um, you know, does it hinder? Does it help? How do you how do you take on board feedback, especially when you know it's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Go. I love feedback if it's constructive and collaborative because it's it makes the project better. If it's feedback for the sake of feedback, which we often get, it doesn't move anything forward. If that makes sense. Like we recently got a brief sent over to us that literally had a list of all the things the client doesn't like which was actually fabulous before we even started the project so we knew from the beginning what's where we're, we're playing but I think the collaborative part of feedback is so unique and whether it's between suppliers or and it's between client or if it's between our, just within our team I think feedback's critical. Look I think without constructive criticism we can't move forward right so you need to be forever curating yourself because Whenever, whenever at our best, you know, there's always, sometimes we peak too much, sometimes not enough. So I think that constant sort of edit of where are we at and what's happening is really important. Sometimes it's just bloody boring, you know, to talk about well, there was a crumb over here and a something there. But that said, it's pushing us to be better and perfection is terribly boring. So I actually don't think an event is really great unless something sort of goes a little bit wrong. Yes. Because these, they're live, you know, beings, they're happening, they're living, they're that breathing. Happens. And the humans <laughs> who come alive yeah. and breathing and, and their energy is going to change the whole landscape so um they're never going to be perfect and it'd be boring if they were and i have noticed bruce as i said you've one of my favorite all-time storytellers i've noticed you often make your clients and your team laugh in meetings and you're always fun to work with um you also seem to manage the business side of things with a degree of class can you describe your management and communication style to us there's sort of two things. I mean, um, one about it is just about business management and I've actually really always enjoyed the machinations of business and risk and entrepreneurship and so that actually feeds me. That's probably my bigger driver than anything else. Like there were many times where we probably could have stopped, you know, shrunk, gone tighter, but I just, it's not the way. I like scale, I like growth. So th those things and the machinations of how business operates from a working capital point of view and you know, maintaining independence, like one of the most important things about Big Group is we've never had any investors and we've always grown organically and used our own money. That's been a very powerful thing in the past, but with COVID even more so. So that's been our sort of luxury. So the business acumen piece is really important to me. The other part of it is really about um, culture and, and um, you know, just getting the right energy in the room. And once again, COVID's been a really interesting time because I sort of reflected, why am I doing this? <laughs> and do I really want to? Sure and do I really want to keep doing this? And when I pull myself apart, it's a very large part of who I am, and therefore all the people around me are part of that too. And it brings me great joy. You know, like we mentioned, someone I went to school with who's very senior in the political 
field in Australia. And I look at that and I think, my God, would I want to be doing that? Here I am every day. Yes, we've had lots of problems to solve, but I quite like problems because I'm good at solutions. But we're having fun doing it and the joy that we get. Actually, the dream, we're talking about dreams before we started today. The dream that Cheeks had the other day was all about Steph. She woke up and said, I've had this beautiful dream, but Steph was crying in the corner. And I said, oh, my God, I can't have Steph crying. What happened? And Cheek said, oh, we're at this most amazing party, the most incredible party we've ever done. And we were going through all the beautiful things that the team had done. And then in the corner was Steph crying. And I went over, this is Cheeka talking, I went over to her and I said, why are you crying? We're so upset. And she said, I'm crying tears of joy because I'm so happy we're finally back doing what we do well. <laughs> and I thought, I hope it was a premonition, not a dream. But, yeah, no. So we still love it. And, and once you love it, it makes it easy to share it with people and make sure the journey's fun. You know? And once again, I feel like people feel that. So I've got three quicker questions for you now. The first one, Steph, is creativity valued yet? Not enough, I don't think. I think people grossly underestimate the time great creativity takes and this is a constant education piece we endure with both corporate and private clients. The journey never ends. No. <laughs> yeah, it's an absolute disaster. Um, but what will happen as, you know, the bots, the, the rise of the non-human comes, people with creativity and emotional intelligence will become the power brokers of the future. So I think it's Write up that down now. <laughs> I, yeah. I can record that sometime very soon. But it's up to us to be the custodians of that, to value what creativity can bring to the table. So 20 years ago, the ad agencies were making... Some money doing the most amazing ads and doing mm. things, but all of our um, cottage industry, by by people looking in at us, are creating great ad campaigns via visual environments and mm. not getting paid accordingly. It is interesting yeah. how that's changed. Um, you know, the power of the PR agency, as well. That's been a really interesting change. Another question: What would you prefer, the power behind the scenes or the glamour at the front of the event? What, where does your heart go? Oh, 100% behind the scenes. 100%. Really? Oh, yeah. No. No, can't yeah. stand it. Uh, if I had my way, I wouldn't go to a party at night time. I'd be sitting at the back in the kitchen with everyone I know. Um, that is part of the sort of the bullshit of our job. It's really important. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, no, it's not my favourite spot to be. Literally my bliss is walking out of an event as guests arrive. I could not be happier. It's like passing on the Olympic torch to the front of house team to carry it on and light it and make it amazing and I just want to hear the stories the next day. It's and, and the truth be known, Steph and I also have an issue with the guests because none of their clothes match unless they're in black tie <laughs> and we've done some <laughs> jewels that humans. I can't. Oh, they muck the whole thing up. <laughs> I love it. Especially love when it. we spent so much time on the staff. So, <laughs> <laughs> And the final question today, um, Gloss Creative, and me, I'm obsessed with quotes. I don't care what they are daggy insta quotes the daggier the better i'll pull some kind of daily inspiration from it what's your favorite quote to do with event design or creativity or anything i think i've got a couple one of them i love and i think bruce will identify with this one is every night i pray that my clients with good taste will get money and my clients with money will get taste <laughs> accounting for it. No. And then the other one is the role of the designer is um, that of a good host anticipating guest needs. Um, good old Charles Eames. There you go. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Um, well, Steph won't believe mine, but it actually is at the back of my head because most of, you know, the way I think is more is more. But really, when it comes down to the actual event, it's like less is more, you know, like it's, it's pulling a few things apart. But 
you can never do it till actually at the end, you, you know, when you really see it built. So, yeah, less is more. And our, our final one for today, my quote is, one cannot have too large a party. <laughs> that's a Jane Austen one. So true. Thought, yeah, that's pretty good. Large yes or large? Large. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Amanda. Amanda.